As much as we kick and fuss about change, we have been very change-ready or resilient, or we wouldn't still be here. So here we are, and the only reason we are here is because as much as we say, I don't want to, we have. You're listening to Find the Good News, Episode 109, The Law of Change, a Beacon Series conversation featuring Margaret Maloney, Ph.D., host of the Death Dhamma podcast and author of Carpooling with Death, How Living with Death Will Make You Stronger, Wiser, and Fearless. Find the Good News is produced by Parker Brand Creative Services, a branding agency that thinks sideways, pushes forward, and gets your brand up. See what else we do at parkerbrandup.com. There is a small note tacked to a piece of corkboard near my desk, the letters stark white against an inky black square. These words, change is the law have stared back at me from this small slip of paper for almost 20 years, serving as a reminder of the Buddhist teaching on impermanence, reminding that everything that comes together eventually falls apart. On first blush, this may seem like a dismal outlook, encouraging nihilism and a half-glass empty perspective that could be quite depressing. While I understand this, that has not been my personal experience with teachings on impermanence, change, nor death. The truth is that in accepting this trinity of decay as a natural, ever-present part of life, I have found a luminous jewel in life that tends to shine brighter when juxtaposed with death's looming presence. In many ways, death is a door to life unfolded, be it minutes or years. At the very least, death is a tool that can be used to appreciate every precious, life-giving drop in a half-full glass of water. This is the door in which my guest, Margaret Maloney, operates. Margaret is the host of the Death Dhamma Podcast, a unique series of conversations about death from a Buddhist perspective, and the author of Carpooling with Death, How Living with Death Will Make You Stronger, Wiser, and Fearless. Having lost many of her dearest treasured loved ones, Margaret is no stranger to death's touch. Through her book and her podcast, she has created a unique space and resource of practical wisdom, perspective, and comfort for those who may be navigating the difficult terrain of grief and loss. Margaret doesn't make promises or outline some mystical formula to follow that will remove death's painful sting, and I think that is what I found most appealing. Instead, what I found was an honest approach to looking at the sting itself, understanding that death's painful shock is normal but ultimately it too is in the throes of the great law of impermanence, fleeting just as it arrives. Her personal Buddhist practice provides obvious, tactile teachings that have been a great vehicle through her own experiences with life, death, and grief. She has the lovely ability to share those lessons in textured, nuanced ways, making them more approachable to those in the throes of misfortune. It is my hope that you will find our conversation useful in your own life. But more, if you have experienced the loss of a loved one, I would encourage you to seek out her podcast and her book. Now, it's time to look directly at the visage of death, to know its imprint on the world of time, to accept change as a natural, even fruitful part of life. Then tune your attention to this good news beacon and press play on a little good news. Wake up, it's morning. You're dreaming up the story I can hear. The way it's going, cause you're laughing in your sleep. On the path to your deliverance in a holy ball of light. Old news, bad news. Fake news, 
Sometimes you want to shut those signals down and seek a better source. With my Find the Good News Beacon series, I tune into good people doing good works wherever I can find them. I scan across the full spectrum of life, seeking out human beings that have turned their dials towards helping others, aligning their time, resources, and talents with goodness, justice, mercy, and love. In each episode, I sync up with the hearts and minds of my extraordinary guests. We have dynamic conversations that invigorate the mind long after our transmission has ended. I discover the critical life experiences that shape them, the perspectives that drive them, and the fundamental beliefs that have anchored them to a path of goodness. There's a lot of background noise in the world. My name is Oren Parker, and I'm cutting through the static to find the good. Well, I love your podcast. I, I ordered. Oh, you're so sweet. Thank you. As I you know, do. I I'm just excited. started. Yeah, I know. I can tell, but I tell you what, I, I can't wait to see where you go with it because it's one of these subjects that we run from. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And we do. It's like some people aren't comfortable with someone who's sick, you know, and some sure. people don't like hospitals. And I kind of yes. equate death to the, in that category. People going, yeah. Or, or if you find out somebody, you say, hey, how are you doing today? And they're like, oh, I lost my mother about a month ago. Mm-hmm. You can you can tell pretty quickly uh, what kind of if that person's comfortable with death or not, or if they've been through it before yes. because of the way they react. And some people yes. are just not they either comfortable. recoil or they join you. <laughs> right? Oh, yes. That's I don't right. think there's a middle ground. I don't no. think there's like a middle where I'm like I'm going to talk with you about death for a tiny bit. It's either no or let me meet you yeah. because I I know. Or I don't know, but I want to help you, right? It, right. Yeah. Yes. It's come yes. up, and I'm on other podcasts I listen to, and I've, I've it comes up in books, you know, and, and teachings. But to have a whole podcast devoted to that topic, mm-hmm. I think is incredible work. I don't, I don't know of any other that I've come across that's like that. Oh, thank you. Well, we'll see. I know a couple of years ago, I think I did run across a couple of podcasts that are about grief and there's a couple of people that maybe do it in a different way. And I, you know, I have it planned to an extent, if I can say it that way. Okay. And, and then we'll see. And then when I get to, let's say what we'll call season two. Yeah. Maybe it takes a different direction. I, you know, Oh yeah, I understand I'm, I'm that. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. So I really appreciate it. And it's great <laughs> for me to have the opportunity to work with you and to see your podcast and to, you know, get an idea. Well, of course I look and I'm like, okay, here's, you need to change this and you need to change that. But it, right now it's like, let's just start getting the message out there. Yeah. Have let's the conversation, you know, who will come, will people listen? Right. And, you know, again, as you know, I'm early into it. I'm like on what episode six, I think I'm editing episode seven tomorrow. And yeah, so we'll see. We'll I see. love but something it's, it's that fun you, and exciting so far. Something you do that I really like. And I'm not, I'm going to tell you like up front, I actually kind of, I'm considering adopting it is the post show show, you know, you, and, but I'm not going to, I'm probably not going to do it public on my, my main feed. I'm probably Uh just going to do it for my Patreon folks. Mm -hmm. But, uh, I love that because that happens. I really made a point when I, when I started interviewing folks, I said, you know, everybody, no matter what they talk about, I'm going to make a commitment to learn something that I can actually put into practice. And maybe it isn't clear day one, 
mm-hmm. but I'm going to think about them and what they had to say and try to find one piece of fruit that I can like really dive into. And, uh, I never really get to go back and share that with anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I never have had really the thought of how, how should I do that? Or if it was a value, but listening to your show and how you go back and then add thoughts to what you, you know, your conversation yeah. I was like, that is such a, uh, um, one, it's a generous thing to do. I mean, it gives people that extra layer because there's so many things when you, I'm sure when you go back and listen to your conversations, you're like, you know, I didn't bring this up or mm-hmm. I had this thought, but it really never had the right place to, to insert it. The natural flow of the conversation trucks along. So, yeah, to be able to go back and do that, I think, for one, it'd be healthy for me. But two, maybe there's something of value to the listener, you know. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you. I like doing that. I will say it didn't feel as natural to me as the discussions, you know, and then editing the discussions. And where that came from is someone I work with who's part of like a mastermind group that I belong to. And he, he leads the group. So in a way, he kind of coaches us. When I was discussing the podcast and explaining what I was doing, he said, now, Margaret, don't give away your how did he say it? Don't give away your voice. Hmm. People want to know. He said, I know you're, and, and, and he called me on something, which was true. He says, I can see that you're still feeling hesitant, that you're still not comfortable positioning yourself as maybe, you know, an expert and a thought leader on this topic. He says, but you do, he says, you were surprised at what you know, and that you do know, and you know it from your perspective. So don't give away your voice. So find a way to have the interview, but also to let people know Margaret. Yeah. And it was really valuable that he said that. And then, you know, I kind of thought about it and I thought, well, at the, I didn't know how to insert it. And I was thinking like the interview in itself seems like enough to have that discussion with the person, you know, like we're having right now, that's enough, like a self-contained thing. And so that's where I came up with the I guess I call them sometimes the death Dhamma ahas, uh-huh. uh, just because the alliteration makes me giggle because I'm silly <laughs> that way. Uh, but really, they're lessons learned, right? And, yeah. and so that's where that came from. And so I, I appreciate you commenting on that because I'm, you know, I'm still finding my way, and I'm watching, and it seems like just as many people listen to those as the others. Because I was kind of thinking like. Margaret, no one's going to listen to that. You know, you're going to have people listen to the interview and then you're going to see like the numbers for you, for you going, blah, blah, blah. We're going to go. And they're fairly even so far. Yeah. I like it with my giant expertise of six episodes. Well, you know, it's it's interesting. I mean, I, I like it because I mean, if you, some people are regular podcast listeners and some people aren't, I mean, some people will Mm -hmm. just listen to one and they're done and they don't really ever come back. But I'm, I find those shows that I really like. And when I like them, I'm, I'm kind of committed to it. It's like something, a fan. I mean, I guess is what Mm I become, but what I really like and probably, it's probably just an ego thing, but I, when I'm listening to a podcast, I'm typically having thoughts, you know, like when, like your conversation with day Hong, I, I had just so many thoughts. I mean, that conversation just in fact that's the conversation where i discovered you and mm-hmm. I, I was like wow i want to talk to her because my brain was just firing off i was having so many thoughts 
And then your post show, it was nice because I was, when I saw that you were doing that, I was like, oh, I wonder if she's going to go back and touch on any of the thoughts that I had, even though you don't know my thoughts, but it was like this confirmation, like, oh yeah. Okay. So my thoughts weren't far off from someone else's. It's just a, I don't know. I I I know. I'm just curious if I can turn the tables and ask you the question. And so in that post show, did it touch on things that you were thinking, curious about, occurred to you? I don't know if it was like, I don't remember exactly. I don't know if it was specific necessarily, Uh but I just recall feeling, um, I don't know if satisfied is the right word. Maybe it's not, but it was a feeling of, um, a continuation. Like, I guess I I had more going on in me than from that conversation, which I I mean, you know, I feel like I'm introspective and that's usually what I'm looking for in a podcast, something Mm -hmm. that's going to either I'm going to learn something new or, um, advance something that I, I on top of something I already understand or just make me reflect, you know, in a way mm-hmm. that I haven't before. And I felt like there was just, I don't know, there was something very personal about that conversation or all of them so far mm-hmm. that I've listened to. Yeah. I mean, I feel like you're really good at that. You, you're not afraid. We almost can't be with your subject matter. I mean, mm-hmm. that subject is just, if you're going to enter that space, then there's... <laughs> you'll enter anywhere to me. I mean, that's like the final door, right? So if you're going to go through that door, it almost unlocks a lot of other doors with it. It does. It does. I'm very fortunate that the, so only people who are willing to address it are going to respond to me. Right. And so I'm fortunate that the people that I have been speaking to are very generous and open. And as I was approaching people, what I found was if someone was going to say yes, they almost always said yes right away. And so at this point, I've had about 13 interviews now. And I think of all 13, if somebody didn't answer right away, it was more like, oh, I'm behind in my emails. Uh, yeah. But as soon as they saw the email, they said yes. And anyone who hesitated because I did have one or two people who hesitated via their replies back to me. They generally wound up not proceeding, which is fine because it is a topic that can be intense for people, uncomfortable for people. And it's not that it's completely comfortable for some of the guests, you know, that I've had the chance to speak to, but it's that they're willing, they're okay with having the discussion. Yeah. They're okay. But I will tell you that there's uh, sometimes where I've caught myself with a little hesitancy in introducing the topic at the beginning, say, of interviewing someone. And usually that gets edited out. Maybe sometime I should leave it in because there's a couple of times where I'll kind of like over animate and I'll say to the person, so are you ready to talk to me about death? And then I'll start, <laughs> yeah, like, what's I'll the start segue? kind of giggling. You know? Right, right. So, I get it. It's I can totally see that. I mean, I'm. I'm comfortable talking about death. Yes. And I don't say that as like some kind of woohoo type of thing, but I I have to watch that because I'm so comfortable with it uh, that I sometimes forget other people aren't. Right. Right. Um, if that's the right way to say it. And so I have to be careful, you know, and when I, I guess that's, I, I don't like the word excited, but when I saw your podcast, 
you know, you were talking today and I was like, oh, well, I'm going to be talking to him, too. So that's that's really cool. We, we've, I'm, I'm curious yeah. to see how his interview goes. And so I entered it with that. But then I saw what it was about. And I was like, oh, these are just and this is terrible, probably to other people. But thought I had was two of my favorite things together. <laughs> I mean, I really did have that thought. I was like, in one place, someone's talking about death and they're talking to somebody that I'm about to interview. So I'm very fascinated to see where this goes because these are both things I'm highly interested in. And I know I'm going to hear I am laughing. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just, but not everybody is that way. And I have to just remind, but at the same time, I want to appreciate the staying of death, but I also would like for people to be able to take comfort in it and laugh too. myself. I mean, to me, that would be a great comfort for someone to be able to accept it as anything else we accept in life. You know, as you said so beautifully so many times. Well, and it's okay to laugh. And even though sometimes it it might feel a little weird, it's okay to laugh. Actually, after the fact with Venerable Day, one of the things he said to me after when he listened to his episode is he's, he's like, I forgot how much we laughed. In that uh, episode, yeah, and actually, <clears throat> until he pointed me out, I it out to me, I forgot. Also, I'm like, yes, we did laugh because we're two people, and and also, he is a colleague and friend of mine, and so it was very easy to speak to him. Yeah, and some of the things that we spoke about in the podcast, we had already spoken. Ah, I together. see. Okay, so there was a yeah, comfort. Yeah, so we've known each that... other for a while, so that made it flow more easily. But as I'm listening now, you know, when I edit and I listen with some of my discussions with other people. There is quite a few times where we're laughing in a a good way, like not in that, you know, like nervous way, like I said a minute ago when I started, not nervous or maniacal, but that we are having some belly laughs together. And a couple of the people who didn't know me, because at first, you know, probably like you, you call on people, you know. Yeah, sure. And a couple of the people who were, I guess I'll say cold calls. It's interesting what you said about favorite topic, because I can think of two of them who I cold called, as it were, and both of them in their response to me was, I would love to talk about that. It's one of my favorite topics. Interesting. Okay. So you're on to something there. Well, you know, okay, so let's just, the train has left the station for my listeners, so we've just, we're trucking along. This is how this goes. I'm going to pause right here and ask you, before we get too far, to give a short introduction of yourself to my listeners, because I know who I'm talking to, but they don't know who I'm talking to. All right, great. So hello, everyone. I am Margaret Maloney, and thank you so much for listening today. I love that you are trusting me and Oren together with your time and brain space. And I am a human being who happens to be a Buddhist, who happens to be a person in the world of business. In my other world, I teach project management And as a human being, somewhere along in my adult life, I became a Buddhist, and also people around me died. And I started wanting to talk about death and share with people about death. And in fact, one of my earliest thoughts was I was on the freeway. I'm in Southern California, so you know about our freeways. And I'm driving up the freeway, and I'm going to be late to something. And I had this weird thought, I can get in the carpool lane because I'm not alone, because death is in the car with me. Interesting. And it, and it was because I had gotten to this point in my life where I was looking, and I was like, at the time my mother-in-law was like 97, 
and my parents were getting up there too. And my, my, who is now deceased, my husband had already lived longer than his father had lived. And so I just had this weird, crazy thought that I could go in the carpool lane because death was with me. And then I go on my journey and yes, people die. And I felt compelled. Like it's almost like I couldn't not write about it. And then eventually I'm here now because I couldn't also not talk about it. Yeah. It's such a part of our lives that, you know, it's, it's a, it can, it, pains us but at the same time i mean for me it was a a catalyst just mm-hmm. not really having the presence of death but just to begin thinking about it yes. you know and once i started thinking about it as a young adult i realized that perhaps i had been thinking about it even as a child Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. just when you start to, for me anyway, when I started to string together those moments, I was like, oh my gosh, there's been a presence of death uh, the whole time. Yes. But it was never like a monster. You know, right. it was sorrowful, certainly, because I mean, there were people that I wouldn't see in the flesh and blood. But. Uh, at the same time, it was almost like a, a strange comfort. I, I don't really even know how to put words to that sometimes, but that was a door for sure. And I'm finding and mm-hmm. listening to your podcast and and other people that I've communicated with that they've had a similar experience, that death is almost like this door to something getting unlocked, a perspective on life, and almost like enriched life. It was like this counterbalance that without it, I, I couldn't, I, for me, I couldn't, I was missing um, all these joys, all this color, all this vividness and richness in the simplest things because I didn't have a counterbalance. I wasn't, death became that counterbalance. It was like the counterweight that actually kept the other side swinging for me. That makes sense. It's It sounds like a cliche, but when I say it in the short form, I will say embracing death helps you truly live. Mm. And I like the way you, you say about it. It, it. It's like if we went from black and white film to colorizing, in a way. It colorizes things. It adds those nuances and those that level of appreciation in our lives if we let it. If we let it, if we will open that door, and I understand it is difficult. Not everyone can open the door. Some can open the door and peer in. Some can walk through. But to live with that appreciation is not necessarily, it's not, when I bring it up to people, I'm not saying, like, be sad, be morbid. I'm not trying to be a bummer. I'm not trying to be like, hey, you're going to die. Hey, I'm going to die. And you're living now. Right. We're living now. So let's live. Let's live. Yeah. That's what I was missing too. I mean, and I, I mean, and I've, I've went through that cycle several times, you know, as, as the years go by and I'm sure many of us do, but it always comes back to death. I mean, it, I was telling someone a few, many episodes back, I said, you know, death became such an important part of life that, I mean, I started even collecting skulls, like uh, not in a, not in a scary way, but like almost mm-hmm. in a beautiful way. That's a reminder that inside of this beating, warm, breathing body are these bones, you know, mm-hmm. and then someday, you know, that that's what's going to be left. And so I and went before that day comes. You know, I 
I should taste life to some degree. And not doesn't now I didn't mean that as a taste it and just go crazy, you know, just travel the world, which is fine, whatever anybody wants right. to do. But like I needed to find it in in my normal play in the normal place, like the normal ordinary world that I was living in. You know, I needed to be able to find richness there, you know, and, and because everybody's going to be able to experience life to varying degrees. And I, I didn't want to live in some mindset where I thought, well, anybody can go do anything. And that's just right. not the truth. Right. You know, not everybody's going to get to travel to the Himalayas or, mm-hmm. you know, learn to play their favorite instrument or there may not be enough time, but they can that's do, true. you know, still find uh, something beautiful. And that's, I think it's, it's not, so embracing death and understanding you're here now, to me, that doesn't mean, you know, like go YOLO, you only live <laughs> once, I'm going to party till I drop thing. I I suppose that is a phase many of us go through in life. Yeah. Yes, I did that in my 20s. Sure. But, but in my 20s, of course, I wasn't thinking about death. So there's nothing about my being a 20 something and partying that had anything to do with the, you only live once truly. And, you know, now I hear that saying now, you know, the YOLO, you only live once, but it is really about you have this life, find your, your place in the world. And maybe you are the world traveler, but maybe you're not, maybe you're the voice of self for Louisiana and beyond. And, it is about finding the gifts that you have, I think, and the gifts that you bring and how can you, you bring that? Because I guess I'm assuming most people who are listening to you and I talk right now will probably understand the idea of when we go, we want to try to leave behind more than we took. Sure. Right. So like a crazy YOLO party theme doesn't really do that. But a understanding my time is limited. Am I doing the thing that makes the most sense now? Yeah. This makes me think about something I was telling my wife the other day. <clears throat> you know, I you and I are friends on social media, so we see what the other posts and yeah. um, I you can probably see that I love to go take long walks in nature and just take, you know, get away from the city and just try to find a space. Mm-hmm. And so I just kind of meander around, but I always love to do that before sunrise. I like to kind of make my idea of where I'm going to go and then get there before the sun comes up. Cause I just, I love the idea of seeing the earth rush towards the sun in different places. You know, what does it mm-hmm. look like from a different point of view? And it's so special to me. It's almost like the greatest thing I think I could give somebody is for them to experience that too. But I also realized this weekend when I was standing on the beach, I thought, God, I wish my wife were here to see this. I wish I could share this with her beyond just Mm -hmm. a photograph. I wish my young boys could see this. And so I started daydreaming about, I started daydreaming about them being there. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I had this like sort of idealized version of what that would look like. Like they would stand there in silence with me and the winds blowing and the sun comes up and they start to cry, you know, because it's so beautiful and this joy overwhelms them. But that's not what's going to happen. Probably. (laughs) 
I mean, that's the reality. Are we going to sleep in and have pancakes? Is that oh, what we're going to do? Oh, that's right. My family, they do not <laughs> want to get up at 4.30 in the morning and get coffee and get dressed and go stand out in the freezing cold and walk miles uh-huh. through God knows where to get to a spot and then have to drive all the way home. You know, that's not their thing. And right. I thought, you know, there I may actually never, I may always be in that place alone. You might. And that is okay. And I told yeah. my wife that I said, you know, you know that I love it. And you hear mm-hmm. the way I can describe it to you. And I share pictures with you. And it might even be after I'm gone. If I outlive, if you outlive me, that someday you will walk out to this place and watch the sun come up. And then it might mean that. And that's okay, too. That's funny because as you were saying that this is the thought that came to my mind exactly was uh, more I was thinking of your boys was that one day they may not they may not do it all the time. But one day one or both of them is going to do something like that because it's going to make them feel closer to you. Right. And that's exactly like I remember dad used to do this. He would tell me about it. He liked Mm -hmm. it. And that's I do the same thing for my dad. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. Like my dad and I did not have a great bond. It was a painful relationship. But in death, we have a relationship that is far healthier. And I know that sounds crazy to some people. But for me, that is how I it, it is a far healthier type of love than the type that we had here. Mm-hmm. I am able to process him in a yes. way that I could not. And that's probably partly because I am older, you know, and I've been through different things, you know, that I'd had when I was younger. But it's also um, a for type of forgiveness and a type of uh, letting go to some degree and, and just letting all the pain be replaced with some with more love than anything. And it was just it changed. And I know <laughs> We want to have good relationships in life, but it's just not mm-hmm. always the case. Sometimes it's just not going to be that way. And what I really appreciate about what you're bringing up is that when someone dies, it actually doesn't have to end the relationship. It changes the relationship. And you are right. There are possibly people who haven't had that same experience that clearly you and I have had that are thinking like, great, now he's brought a crazy woman on. <laughs> okay, well, that's this is the day she inter- he interviews the crazy person. But our relationship with that person changes. And I do think that when the relationship has been troubled, it it's exactly what you said. You said process it. It allows you to process it without the the noise and the trauma of whatever made it difficult on both sides. Yeah. Whatever made it difficult is still with you, but you can have that conversation now with dad and not worry about what he's going to say back. Right. You can write him that letter. Yeah. Yeah. You can meditate or think or pray about him and you will get some answers back in a more peaceful, less confrontational way. Yeah, it's true. I I was thinking about our conversation, but our upcoming conversation this morning on my morning walk. And uh, mm-hmm. I had this, I was having all kinds of thoughts, you know, when you're walking and meditating, whatever you're trying, you know, thoughts are popping around like popcorn in your head. And 
one thought that I was thinking about today was, uh, and it's, it's partly, I will accept that this could just completely be an imagination exercise. Okay. I say this all the time because I'm okay with, um, there being no truth <laughs> to any mystical or spiritual thing. I'm okay with that. Yeah. As long as it supports the general good. Now, do I believe certain things? Sure. But I was having these thoughts and I thought, you know, my dead, my dead ancestors, you know, they uh, can, they know my thoughts. That's what I was thinking about. Like, what if they know my thoughts? So my father mm-hmm. knows from that perspective, that little imagination exercise, he knows my fears and all my pains and my troubles. He, he knows better than I even know the troubled relationship we had. So in mm-hmm. a way he's able to, with that special gift in the mystery that he, he exists, whatever that is. And again, this is my imagination exercise. He can offer me comfort that he couldn't offer in life because he now has, um, a special sight, so to speak that I don't have. Yes. And that's a beautiful thing. And I thought, so it's okay that I'm still troubled and carrying around these fears and angsts because I know that that he doesn't. I don't know if I'm framing that the right way, but it was kind of the way I was understanding. I thought, what a beautiful thing, whether it's real or not, whether that's the way it works or not. In this little imagination exercise, I, exercise, I was comforted by that. And it made me start to think about religion mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and how... Religions are really kind of like that imagination exercise. They give us sort of this framework to provide, hopefully provide comfort. If it's if, if that is what the religion is actually doing. I mean, some don't maybe, but for the most part, I mean, like a Christian would say, I'm my relative is in heaven and I'm going to see yes. them again. That's going to comfort them or they're looking down on them from heaven. Mm-hmm. Uh so that gives them a sense of comfort, like a framework to operate in. So I think in that regard, religion can be very good and helpful. And I guess I'm saying all of that to segue into one of my big questions is like, where does Buddhism begin to enter your life and then begin to inform your perspective on death? Okay. Okay. That was a before long way I, to get there. <laughs> no, no, no. It was a great way to get there. And, and if you don't mind before, I promise I'll, I promise I will answer that. And if I, if I start going off too far someplace else, just bring me back. Okay. But, um, you know, when you were talking, I just wanted to insert something when you're, you're discussing about your father and now he can hear your thoughts and he can respond to them. And, and yeah, you're the, the right, the thought around, is this real or is it in my head? But so for now, let's say that this is really how it is. And that that to be dead means to have the pain stripped away so that your father, when he was alive, probably had a lot of pain and difficulty. And, of course, that's what entered into your relationship. And now he's somewhere else and he's in a realm where that's no longer true for him. Beautiful. And so that's why he can be with you peacefully. Yes. Right. Yes. And, and, and so, you know, when I think about these things too, and I think, um, when I think that I've interacted with my dead loved ones and then I'll think, did I, is that real? And then one day I finally arrived at, it doesn't matter. doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's real. It was real to me. It helped me in whatever way. 
Exactly. In whatever way. I think about this with the red cardinal. You know, a red cardinal is a symbol of... People say that all the time in -hmm. our community and, and probably everywhere. I see books about it that... When you see a red cardinal, it's a sign that a loved one's spirit is near you. Mm-hmm. And there's hundreds of red cardinals in my yard. And I was telling my wife, I said, you know, if somebody mm-hmm. sees that and says, oh, that's that's Mamma. Mamma sent that cardinal. Uh-huh. Okay. I see the same yeah. bird, you know, from a different perspective. And I go, oh, that's a cardinal in my yard. How pretty. That's not anything mm-hmm. to me. That is okay, too. It's like whatever it is. To me, it's about comfort. Like, I'm okay with that. Some people don't want to give comfort. And that always hurts me when I see something. Because uh, over theology and things like that, they'll say, well, that's mm-hmm. bad theology. And I'm like, I'm just not going to put theology over compassion. I just feel yes. like, to me, that's a space that I just go, no, I think I'll go with the compassion over the theology. I think that if I need to see that as my mima, then that means on that in that moment I'm missing her or still feeling a connection with her or wanting to keep a connection with her. And how is that wrong? Okay, now bringing some Buddhism into it. If <laughs> I'm going to be crazy, if I start, you know, like stalking that bird and following that bird around and I paint one of its, I grab it and I paint one of its, <laughs> its legs bright yellow so that I always know that's my Mima and I really make that my Mima and I really, and then I like want to trap it and put it in a cage and make sure I talk to it every day and bring it its favorite candy. Then we're getting into what we call attachment mm. and that is less emotionally and mentally safe, right? Let's say it that way. But if for this moment I need to visit my Mima, then I need to visit my Mima. Yeah. And I, you know, but I just want to do it from a place of non-attachment. Yeah. I, I feel know? that totally. I, yeah. I, I try to look at things like that as like almost like little keys, you know, mm-hmm. that open up a variety of, well, Dharma doors. I mean, you know, there's so many Dharma doors and in how you enter could be any any number of ways you know and i kind of look at it that way it's like so today the cardinal is a key tomorrow it might be a misplaced penny on a sidewalk or Mm -hmm. the alignment of three different uh people saying something similar to you on the same day uh that means absolutely nothing to someone else but that nexus that little node means something to you those are just little keys for you to to me see life just more illuminated to some degree. Absolutely. I know when my uncle was dying and, and, and when he died, as he di- as he was dying, we were playing some music for him and there was a song that we were playing and it, it wasn't on the you know top 40 list at the time. And after that, if I was someplace and I heard that song played, I felt like my uncle was getting in ah. touch. Hmm. And maybe not. Maybe it was just on somebody's Muzak list in the elevator or something. But, you know, that's just... And even now when I hear that song, I think, oh, there's Uncle Bill. So, yeah. That's, you know, a, that's okay. Because I guess it reminds me of being there together with family with Uncle Bill. Yeah. So, you know, it, which it's, thing is it? I don't know. Uh, yeah. And it's okay. That's that's something yeah. that I... I had a, a friend of mine years ago. We had met and worked together. And she had um, lost her mother. And... She come from a, a Christian family, and you know I would I, 
I don't know what I am. I mean, I, I guess I, I'm kind of in a bunch of different worlds, but we were talking one day about death and, and I said, you know, one, one concept that's bo- bothered me is like the idea of like heaven jail, like heaven, um, as a concrete box. That's like really thick and no signals come out like your loved one dies and then they're just in heaven jail after that. And you're not going to get to see them till you die or interact with them in any way, shape or form until you can get passed through the wall, you know, and Mm -hmm. get your pass card. And then you get to be in the big concrete box, too, uh, with them again. And I said, that's just so painful, you know, to think that. You know, you're walking around living your life, not talking to your mother. And, you know, just it makes you wonder, like, what are they bribing them with in that heaven jail? Yeah, they don't. Miss us. I saw that. That's and right. That's and I so said, did, did your mother love again. you? I'm probably being, I'm probably being <laughs> a little egoistic and attached and selfing and all those things. Like, how could they not miss me? But truthfully, when we've had these relationships with people and they die, if they're in a place where they're aware of this, you would think there would be part of them that were missing you. Oh, absolutely. And it would want to just like check in once in a while, like to be that cardinal and be Mima and go like, I just want to go down to the yard and see if they're okay. And then I promise I'll come back. Yeah. So, just just like yeah, imprint you. upon, you know, their life and just uh-huh. nudge in some way. Um, I, mm-hmm. I, you know, and I, I've tended to adopt at nature and the world is trying to speak to us that way. I mean, I, I do tend to look at the world that way now. And maybe I didn't 25 years ago, but now. I really have adopted that and you know I'm okay with that I I, I like the idea that an ancestor may imprint try to imprint upon my life through the world in some way and um, it's kind of sometimes comical and joyful Mm -hmm. it's it's a bunch of uh, it's almost fun (laughs) to look you know and go oh that's that's this has meaning this this object or this thing or this message or the timing of something um it brings joy you know it takes some of that sting away i think and i think these are some of the moments that are so helpful to those of us who are still here is you know and and this did come up absolutely when i was interviewing people for the podcast is that one of I remember what was it? Somebody told me this story of how it was like the day of her father's funeral, and this was when we, we, a lot of us were still using landlines, and that the phones in the house just started going wacko. And huh. she said they'd ring, and then they'd stop ringing, and then they'd ring, and you'd pick it up, and it would be static. And then, and she said it never did it before, and it never did it since. And the whole family was like, "Yeah, that's dad," because yeah. I guess he used to talk on the phone a lot. So who knows? Maybe that day AT and T was having a bad day, but that's what it became for them. And oh look, so, I okay. mean, I'll tell you a Can't story. Prove them wrong. Recently, you know, we lost uh, my father-in-law, and mm-hmm. I mean, the guy was a, a fixer. He he did everything. I mean, he was industrious and he took care of everybody. And I mean, we had had two hurricanes here, so his wife's home. My 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 mother-in-law, you know, my wife's mother. He had their house rigged up a certain way to where there was air flowing through it. I mean, because we were without Mm -hmm. power for a long time. He he Mm. died in the midst of all of that. So there was a lot of this rigging that had taken place that needed to be undone. But obviously, he's not here to do it. And we were (laughs) Uh. we my wife had been staying with her mother 
as we moved towards his funeral. Um, mm-hmm. And she was telling me, she said, these things just keep happening, you know, like on the side of the bed where he slept, she had been sleeping with her mother and on the mm-hmm. side of the bed where he slept, his alarm clock just kept, it would like change the time and it would go off at weird times and they'd unplug it and reset it. And it would just like reboot. And, and her mom was like, that has never done this before. And it was just like every day, those first, that first week. And mm-hmm. so she was telling me about that. I said, you know, you just never know what kind of entanglement yeah. is going on with that space. But at his wake, um, no, it wasn't at his wake. It was after the funeral. We were at her house and there was Mm -hmm. this particular window that he had spent a lot of time retrofitting with this thing to where the air, this air device would blow into the house and it was going to take some doing to get it undone. And so I asked my mother-in-law, says, well, is there anything I can do while I'm here, you know, to undo some of Mm -hmm. these things? And she said, you know, this window you know, he, he built this thing, and I don't know how to get it out. It's a kind of complicated thing. I said, well, let me see what I can do. So I go look at it, and I'm like, eh, I don't have the tools. And I, I was like, I don't know what mm-hmm. he did, and I was scared I was going to break it. So I decided to not do it. Okay. Nobody touches it. I walk away. Mm-hmm. Five minutes later, this whole thing, this whole apparatus just falls out of the window. <laughs> now, it's been there you know, nobody's touched it. And I told her, right. I said, gosh, the timing is odd. It's yeah, that's odd. certainly interesting. It's interesting. And I said, yes. you know, I'll just, I'm just going to take that as a wink <laughs> that, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm present. I, I know this, you know, I'm, I'm here. Um, I love y'all. I know this is an issue. You know, I'm just going to nudge to remind y'all that I care about these things. Yeah. And that's okay. It brought comfort. We, didn't laugh necessarily, but I, I felt comforted by that. Yes. Yes. He like, it was like, he heard, it's like, he heard his wife. He's like, I'm sorry. Oh, you want that down? Okay. Yeah. Uh, Orrin can't do it. So yeah. <laughs> I'll yeah. push it out. And, you know, yeah. and it, and I mean, you and I can, and we can, we can smile about it now. And I, I mm-hmm. do, I, I, I find it funny almost. I mean, I'm like, oh yeah, he, he wasn't going to let it go. He was going to get it done. Some, somehow <laughs> that was coming out of the window. It probably bothered him. It you know? probably did. He was right. He would, he would have already taken it down is what I thought. It was like it would have been down yesterday, yes. you know. So. Yes. Longtime Find the Good News listeners know that we often meander into topics on spirit, mysticism, religion, and wisdom traditions. If you are interested in these topics, I encourage you to seek out my new podcast, The Dawn Deacon with Brother Oren. On the Dawn Deacon podcast, I consider my small place in the whole of creation, asking the old questions that have perplexed human beings for ages. Why are we here? Is there a reason for our existence? How do we balm our sufferings, enlighten our minds, and awaken our hearts? Are there powers, energies, and realities just beyond our ability to comprehend them? On the Dawn Deacon podcast, I share the teachings, practices, and perspectives I have gathered as I've made my varied, sacred, ordinary way. I hope you'll join me at the Dawn Deacon podcast so that we can traverse this landscape together. Just search The Dawn Deacon with Brother Oren in your favorite podcast app or search engine, then subscribe. Okay, you you asked me about Buddhism and death, and I promised I would come back to yes, it. Yes, so please do. I, I, didn't, I didn't forget. 
Let's see how to approach this. Well, I I'll go back a little bit into my my history, my family history. I I was raised in a in a devout Catholic family. Okay, and I always respected my family religion. And I you know when I lived at home, I participated in the family religion. I, you know that was the right and respectful thing to do. It didn't resonate with me. I saw how helpful it was for others. And later in life, I saw how my parents' Catholicism helped them as they both approached death in different ways. It, it didn't, for whatever reason, I guess people would say it didn't take with her. And I can remember as a young child that... The concept of rebirth made sense to me. Mm. I don't know why. I can't yeah. tell you why. Okay. I can just tell you that I can remember back being like five, maybe, and thinking that that was the thing that made sense to me. But then I will also say that the area that I grew up in, it wasn't like there was any kind of access or knowledge of any other ways of being. There were other ways of Christianity. There was Judaism. I don't think at the time really we had an even an awareness of Islam that you know thank goodness we have a better uh, understanding of Islam today and certainly not no awareness of Hinduism and and or Buddhism but so that was a thing that was always with me so I went through my life and when I moved out on my own I just became nothing and um, just you know didn't have that that part of my life. I would go when I would go visit my parents. I would still participate with them. And uh, I got to a point where, and it's actually so. I, I'm looking at it now. I have a little statue of a Buddha on my desk, and it came to me from a coworker, someone who well, actually was someone someone who worked for me back in my corporate days, had gone on a trip to Thailand, and he brought back little gifts. And one of the gifts he brought back were these little, it's like two inches tall, maybe three inches, uh, little statues of Buddha. And that was on my desk in my office. And I had it kind of up by, like right by my monitor. Mm -hmm. And it was just there and it was just there. And this was probably in like 2004, 2003 or 2004. And somehow one day... Maybe a year or two after that, I just started researching and reading. Mm. And I really started with, and, and okay, some people don't like these books because they feel like they're insulting, but I was so not knowing what to look at or do that I actually, we were in the bookstore one time, my late husband and I, our favorite thing, one of our favorite dates was to go to the bookstore and buy like a stack of books yeah, and then go, ha and then go have sushi and then go home and read our books. So we were very exciting people. I love that and though. So, <laughs> that was like our favorite date. And so we were in the bookstore and I went down to the religion and spirituality section and I got this, the bright yellow Buddhism for dummies. Book. Oh, I, I have that book. Yeah, yeah, it's on my bookshelf. Yeah. I, I got it at a thrift store not too long ago. It's like, hey, is this, I'm going to bring this home. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I know some, and I know they have all these, you know, this for dummies, that for dummies. And I understand yeah. that people don't love it, but I was like, this is, I didn't feel in any way insulted about it. I'm like, this no, is who I am right books. now. I'm, I don't know anything. And I started reading it and I just knew. Mm. And some, I, I remember one time in a, in a class, a group of us were talking about this and, and one of my classmates was making fun of me and she's like oh sure you're just a spontaneous buddhist i'm like you know 
I'm just sharing my story with you. I'm sharing sure. my experience. You can believe it or not believe it. And I remember at a section in the book, I was like, oh, this is what I am. I am a Buddhist. Mm, I understand that. This is who I am. And then, of course, you know, it's like, well, which Buddhist are you? Yeah, right, <laughs> because, right. <laughs> you start drilling down. Okay, so there's yeah, a lot which more. which one are you, Margaret? Because as one of my, and I went on and um, went back to school to get a degree in Buddhist studies, because sometimes when I approach things, I approach them analytically, and I also wanted to continue my education. So I brought these things together to do this. So that's, and by the way, that's where I met, met Dae Hong. Oh, Okay. We went to school together oh, at University okay. of the West. Oh, okay. I wasn't West. sure what the connection was. Okay. Yeah. We met at University of the West. And some of my people that I've interviewed, my guests, uh, will be people I went to school with at University of the West. Because Excellent. it's a it's a Buddhist underwritten university. So anyway, yeah, it's which one am I? Because what I like is that one of our professors used to say, there's not a Buddhism, there's Buddhisms. Mm, that's a good way to say that. You know, just yeah. like there's different ways to be a Christian. Sure. There's different ways to be a Jew. There's different ways to be a Muslim. Right. You know, there are there lots isn't of textures. One. There's yes, and you can say schools or sects also. And but he he would say there's Buddhisms, and so then it became about just learning about different schools. I'll say schools of Buddhism and and trying to find where I fit in. And and my husband joined me together. You know, we started reading it and talking about it, and it. Turned out that it resonated with him as well, and so we became. He came from a, a background of he was raised as a as a Jew, so I would say he was culturally Jewish, gotcha. but not really practicing. And I was culturally okay. Christian. Yeah, uh, like to this day, I love to put lights on the house for the holidays. I have a tree, but I I'm not really practicing a religious event. I'm practicing a cultural event. Yeah, you know that makes total sense. Yeah, yes, and and so uh, we kind of. S- started moving forward together. And one of the first groups that we learned about and visited was a uh, Tibetan group. And they held these Sunday morning meditation and discussion classes. So that was really good to understand it. And one of the reoccurring themes that kept coming up was to live as if this were your last day. Mm. To remember one of the teachings that came up is remember, this could be your last day. This could be everyone's last day. And that's where it started coming together. I see. I that's see. That's where it together. So I'm sorry. So I took a long walk to get you there. So no, I, you. I'm glad you did. I was curious because, yeah. you know, I, I would I would say that when I'm when I'm when I'm feeling this way. In fact, I told someone yesterday in a letter I wrote, I said, you know, there are days when I would say that I am a a Christian that practices Buddhism. But mm-hmm. there are other days when I would say I'm a Buddhist that really adores Christ. So uh depends on which day you're talking to me and what's going on in my life, how I'm particularly pivoting. And I've gotten very comfortable with that, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. that um, I lean on whichever teaching uh, is best for whatever I'm standing on, whatever the ground is like at that moment. And um, I find there's a lot of overlapping territory as well. Maybe maybe they really there are some major differences too, but I don't worry about those things too much. I don't agonize right. over them. But uh, something you just said, where I, I've heard a teaching like that too, that it was something to the effect of remember that you too must die. It was just something yes. so simple like that. And like yes. that hit like a lightning bolt. It was like that... 
you I, everything starts there for me it began like that like oh remember that um today could be the day yeah, you know yeah today could be everything the day. so uh, one out a passage that i use more frequently because it's short and simple everything that arises ceases yeah yeah everything <laughs> look i'll show this to you my listeners aren't gonna be able to see it but uh it's pinned to my there board. It's been Changes there. the law. It's been Absolutely. there for years because impermanence. that's impermanence. We have to go all in with impermanence. That's hard to accept that everything is, um, it's like a vacillation, you know. Um, that helped me seeing it that way, that it's just breathing in and breathing out. I mean, things are breathed into existence and then they're they're gone. Mm-hmm. Everything comes together. It goes apart. I mean, and once I accepted that and started to look around I saw it everywhere. <laughs> that was like this thing. It was, I'm sure you probably have had a similar experience where you went, Oh, this is just, it's embedded into everything. It literally is the nature of this universe is to expand and contract, to be born and to die, to arise and, and then dissolve, you know, things are collected. Somebody said something that uh, I loved and I don't remember where it was that I'm going to butcher it, but it was, um, we're just an expression of, 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 of energy that has moved through the universe and has arose in a particular way. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I loved that idea. I was like, wow, just energy traveling and just sort of arose as these conscious creatures, you know? Well, and and if you look at some of the, like a lot of quotes from Albert Einstein seem like they can be, there's a, there's a phrase people use and I'm going to use it. So I'm not slurring. I promise it's a Buddhish, it's a Buddhish. <laughs> and, and so you can sometimes look at some of his quotes and go, yeah, you know, uh-huh. because about matter, you know, only changes forms. It never really goes away. And, and right. you know, the law of the universe is change and, and different things. And I too, am not recalling all his quotes correctly or in a verbatim fashion, but the concepts, I've yeah, been trying to absolutely. the concepts. Yes. Yeah. Changes. Yeah, that, it is. That's comforting to some, but not comforting to others. I find, um, change is terrifying to some, especially people that I know who, um, suffer from like chronic anxiety. Yeah. Uh, change is uh, as bad as death or worse. Or worse, because I guess for some people, they're more afraid of the change. The death would be a finality, yeah. and then they wouldn't have to deal with change anymore. One of the ways I like to think of it is that I think, you know, we we, we humans, we're funny critters. <laughs> and we almost hate change. I think more people would say they hate change than people who would say they love change. I haven't done a formal poll, so maybe everybody will write in and say, no, Margaret, we all love change. What's wrong with you? (laughs) And that'd be great too. But I think that as much as we kick and fuss about change, we have been very change ready or resilient, or we wouldn't still be here. So here we are. And the only reason we are here is because as, as much as we say, I don't want to, we have. That's true. Right? Yeah. We yeah. do flex and bend and and shift. We don't maybe realize how resilient we are. And I don't mean resilient in the sense of firm like a rock. I mean how flowing we are. Our mm-hmm. ability to uh, deal with change is pretty, pretty incredible, actually. I mean, we yes. may vocalize it differently. And complain along the way, but 
the human animal really is pretty pretty flexible. Yeah. yeah, I mean, look at, you know, what's just coming into my mind now, you were telling the example of your late father-in-law and the changes he was making to the house because of the fact that you live in an area where hurricanes come knocking on the door and, you know, this seems to be more prevalent these days. And so he was making changes to make it ready. Yeah. So he wasn't like denying it. He was like, okay, this is how it is. What can we do? Yeah. Yeah. That's something that I think we forget that we are that resilient. Um, and then, you know, other the other thing, too, is to accept also our frailties. I mean, that's something that's hard to do as well. I think that mm-hmm. to accept that um, there are some things that we our bodies just can't survive. Truth. You know, and then that means it's time to go. Yeah. And that's hard to accept. It's hard to accept. We feel so permanent. Yeah. You yeah. Know, especially when we're young and vital. I mean, it feels like everything's going to last forever. And then, you know, but that all depends. I mean, I've thought this many times. It depends on your circumstances. I mean, if you have a terrible childhood, you know, that's filled with abuse and poverty and pain, you want it to change. Exactly. You, know, you're, you you're want to get out of that. eagerly wanting to get out of that situation and become the, the adult who's in charge of your own destiny. Mm-hmm. But if you have a good childhood where things are good and it's happy and all your thing, all your needs are taken care of. You don't want that to change. Some people don't. It's like, I don't want to go out into the world of change. I don't want to have to work. <laughs> I don't want to have to, I don't know, do laundry and buy groceries and wash my car or whatever it is. <laughs> right. I don't want to adult, you know, yeah. there's all those t-shirts that say, you know, I'm not adulting today or something like that. It's like, yeah. Yeah. I, I can remember. Mm-hmm. I remember when my dad was sick, uh, not knowing how to navigate that territory very well. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't so much being afraid of sickness or even death. I was more gridlocked in how to, how to make reparations and say everything that needed to be said or that I felt needed to be said when there was no way to do it. My dad was sick and to the point where he couldn't communicate. Right. He had an awareness, but he couldn't communicate and uh, was unable to. And so it was like, it was left to me to communicate to him, but all he could do was look at me. So, and it was the strangest thing. I mean, going back and analyzing what was going on in my mind, I mean, I won't say that I really navigated it really well i just did the best i could because i just wasn't sure you know i thought right. all I, I leaned on times when i was a kid this one particular instance that that helped me is such an odd thing but i, I got a, a bad stomach pain one time when i was a kid mm-hmm. when i was playing like a bad stomach cramp and it was really painful i thought i was i was probably 11 or 12 mm-hmm. and i remember my dad out of everybody Sitting with me and like talking me through it, like getting me out of my head. Mm-hmm. The pain didn't go away, but it was so much easier to deal with because of the way he was speaking to me. Mm-hmm. And he was trying to, I know he was, just, now I look back and go, oh, he was just comforting me. Sure, That's all he sure. was doing. He was just comforting me. And so when I did go to the hospital and I had the opportunity to talk to him, that memory came back so strong and I used it as, as a guide as to how to talk to him. I mean, I just said, okay, I'm just going to 
lay all of this personal stuff aside, like all these wishes and hopes and dreams of reconciliation and all stuff. And I'm just going to just go, you know what? All I can do is say comforting things right now. That seems perfect. So, you know, I, I understand any of us, we look back at these situations where we've been with the dying and wondered if we did the right thing. And in so in Buddhisms, in in the many Buddhisms, <laughs> there is a common belief about having a peaceful death. Mm-hmm. And so in any way in which we can try, and we can't make it happen because the person who's dying also needs to come to a place of acceptance with letting go and not, you know, and being less fitful. But it sounds to me like what you did was the perfect thing because to help someone have a peaceful death is to be comforting yeah. to them. And when it gets to that point and somebody isn't able to respond, it might not be the right time to make reparations. Yeah. Some, you know, it depends. I think we all have to, you know, the phrase read the room, which is really hard to do in the middle of a angst ridden situation where someone's dying and you're facing your fears of them dying and you're facing your fears of them not being in your life anymore. And you're afraid, are they comfortable? What's happening? And oh my God, one day this will happen to me. So there's so much going on. And so the best we can do is what we have. And we need to think, is this the time for the apologies? Or is this the time to show this person through comforting and love Yeah, that I love them and I'm giving them, I want to bring them this peaceful death. Right. I guess another way too is like you think of there's sometimes the people who, because it's hard and emotions are difficult, are the people who are in the room with the dying person and you want to extract them because they're unable to move past their own stuff. I know exactly what you mean. Yes. And they're kind of having a scene and they're having drama and they're having loudness and why, why me? You know, and I, and I understand that's what they're feeling at the time. So we want to try to get to a place where we don't act in that way because it isn't bringing peace. And you know, that might mean that we have to deal with that later. Yeah, that's so oh, when God, the person I love has passed, that. then you get to not you, but us. When the person has passed, if you still have that angst and that why and why me and why you and that, you're going to be around for a little bit probably to process that. Make sense? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. It's so interesting. I mean, I think about these things so often. It's so interesting to talk to you because. I mean, my wife and I were talking about that, like, where do you want to be buried, for instance? And it gets right Mm -hmm. into this territory, like, where do you want to be buried and what do you want your headstone and all those kinds of little decorations and things like that. And I told and I really believe this. I said, I want to be buried where it will help whoever's left the most. There you go. And that is the I mean that. Completely, not just my children, but even any strangers that may decide to take a stroll through a cemetery someday. Mm-hmm. And people mm-hmm. who read epitaphs maybe write something that would stop them and make them go, I want to know what that means. That's If that has value 100 years from now to some random wayfarer, more power to them to put me somewhere where that can happen. But beyond that, I personally have no 
I don't, it doesn't concern me anymore. I want them to be comforted. And I, I hope that when I'm laying, if I'm, if I'm luck, if I end up laying on a deathbed, if it's not some tragic accident, who knows, mm-hmm. but um, whatever it may be, I hope that I can have that in my mind, at least that same feeling that, you know, may it serve the people I love that are left to some degree, because they're the ones that are going to need to be comforted. I love that approach. You know, you say you say it so much more compassionately and kindly and eloquently than I do. Because sometimes, if I'm feeling a little terse, I just look at people and say, "I don't know. Light me up and have a party. I'm not going to be there." So I guess what I'm saying is, like, I would like to be cremated. And but your approach is really beautiful because it it we are gone. Whatever. We, whatever someone believes about death and what happens next, we're gone. I think most of us agree on that point. We're gone. So I'm gone. Do what makes sense. And then I think it's so it's really important then for people to know that you really mean that because, you know, you've seen it and you've probably ex- gone through it a little bit of that. We want to know that we're doing what would have made dad happy. Right. We yeah. want to know we're doing what would have made mom happy. Yep. And uh, I can remember a friend of mine, her mom just refused. And, and she was a, a cantankerous soul anyway. And so her mother just was would never tell her kids what she wanted them to do when she died. And it wasn't that she didn't deny that she was going to die. It's just it almost seemed so obstinate, like she just wasn't going to make it easier for them. And um Gosh, it's nice if we can make it easy for people. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I I feel bad, like for my family. I'm talking about like my my mother and my sisters. I think about them all the time because I look back on my father's passing, and I'm like, it just wasn't. Not that it should be easy. I just, I don't really even know the right words to really articulate this, but. I still look at them and see them grieving because I just felt like mm-hmm. it wasn't, he wasn't um, grieved properly. And even mm-hmm. in the grandchildren, I thought, no, I've never saw anybody sit and talk to them about my father's illness. They don't talk about him like he's alive anymore. They don't talk about like mm-hmm. him in stories or. I do that with my boys, but not Uh my nieces and nephews. And, and, you know, I I can tell they're hurting because in these five years, some of them have turned into teenagers. And then we've had private conversations, you know, where I can Mm -hmm. see that they'll ask me. So did did Paul, did Papa like this? I'm like, oh, yeah. And I'll tell them a story. And they love that. I mean, they love it so much. And I'm like, gosh, they needed this so badly you know, years ago and they're aching and it's like an, it's an ache that they don't even, nobody's really acknowledged. Does that make sense? Like it's, uh, it makes complete sense. So this, I think for us as adults, one of the biggest gifts we can do or create is to become comfortable to have these discussions so that not only are we able to see ourselves through death 
and dying and grief, but so that we can help the younger generation. Because as you're saying this, I'm thinking of, you know, the people that I've had the chance to talk to. And for those of them who faced a difficult death early in their lives, the common theme is exactly what you're sharing, which is no one was able to talk to me about it. And one woman, even she said to me, she said, it was like this, my mother, it, she said, I'm sure this isn't a hundred percent correct. She said, but it felt like this. My mother said, your father's dead. He's not coming home. Eat your dinner. Oh my goodness. Wow. The end. The Cold end. and dry. Right. And it's probably because me, I don't know. I'm guessing that her mother was still processing it. And I think maybe we have this belief that we have to be strong and not break down in front of the youngers, you know, the young'uns. And what if we did allow them to see this is grief and this is sadness, but it's going to be okay? Mm -hmm. What if we did that and showed them that then they too can do it? Because it's yeah. very confusing for, for everyone, but it's very confusing for youngsters when there's a death and then it's just swept under the carpet. Yeah. You know, it's something I told my niece and I've, I've shared this with other people because I would almost say it's a part of my spiritual practice is uh, to act as a proxy. And I've done mm -hmm. that with my relatives many times. Like, for instance, uh, my sons, whenever I'm having a moment with my boys and mm -hmm. uh, it's teachable moment or even just a moment of tenderness where I get to hug them or maybe rub their hair or something, lay with them on the couch. There are yeah. times when I'll just sort of sink into this moment where I will literally think my hands are your hands right now. My eyes are your eyes right now. And I'll like kind of do again an imagination exercise where I'm allowing my, my dad or my wife's father to be me. In that mm -hmm. moment, to be here on earth, smelling their hair, hearing them laugh. And whether that's real or not, that creates this really heightened sense of just deep love, deeper than the love that I think I feel on my own. It's like it almost doubles it, yeah. you know, and it's uh, it's I, I would encourage people. I, I, I tell this to my wife often. I'm like, I encourage people to do that. But you have to be comfortable enough with death to do that, you know, but do that. And it it um, it makes them present in you to some degree. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. It's not it may bring some tears, but they're not they're healing. It's like, um, I don't know, the bond doesn't end with death, I guess, is what it feels like. Right. Right. We don't have to cut them off just because they died. Yeah. Uh, what was it? Somebody said to me, I loved this quote. He said, nobody does death to you. It's not like somebody did this to you. Yeah. 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 You know, it wasn't some like, it wasn't, you know, some negative action. We're like, okay, I'm doing death to you now. <laughs> right. we, we die. Somebody died. And now that's how it is. Yeah. That's, that's hard to, uh, it's hard to swallow, especially in the midst of grief, it, grief, it is hard, I know, but I, I do find that it, getting comfortable speaking about it is, is a healer. Uh, mm -hmm. my youngest boy, I remember a few years after daddy had passed, my dad loved American flag stuff, red, white, and blue eagles. He was just like, loved that stuff. Mm -hmm. And my youngest, uh, boy, 
asked for his he was five i think when my dad died and his birthday was right after that and he asked if his birthday could be you know america flag themed and he was like well i just want papa to know you know and i was like that's so sweet and then the next year on fourth of july when we went to go buy fireworks he he walked up and there was one of these gaudy you know, it looks like just America threw all up, threw up all over packaging. Uh, and he was like, I think Pawpaw's going to love this. And so we bought it for my dad, you know, and when we fired it off, my son came up to me and he was like, dad, I just feel in my heart that Pawpaw's telling me that he really liked that firework. And I thought, you know what? I'm glad that he feels like that comfortable. He's not, yeah. he feels like. It's not something to fear, like like a corpse that you don't touch, or it's something gross or morbid, you know? Yeah, these traditions where we can, and so your son's creating it with you, when we can have these practices and traditions where we can embrace our dead people, and I'll say, bring them with us in a non-attached way, but not cutting them off there's the uh, you know the the day of the dead uh, celebration and practice i love that and you know i'm always afraid i'm going to get in trouble for cultural appropriation but it's one of my most favorite things because it's just taking this time out to recognize our dead and honoring our dead and you know there's kind of that what is it this the saying when the last person who remembers you goes that's when you really die but you don't really die Mm. until then and you know that keeping our our people alive and then in a different way my my friends from other traditions with with their um ancestor veneration and the putting up the flowers once a year around the time they view that mom died and you know i've started to have a better understanding and appreciation of what that means, it isn't that they're worshiping their dead mother. It's that it's it's I think that sometimes when we hear the phrase ancestor veneration, maybe we in uh, Western English, we don't translate veneration to anything beyond worship. It, it means respect, honor, remember. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I was that's thinking what your son is doing. Yeah, that's right. He's made, he's building that into his life. Uh, and yeah. that's right. It, my dad lives to him like he'll even sometimes. My, especially the my youngest boy, he he will talk about him like he's here, you know, not like mm-hmm. go talk to him in the next room, but more like he's he's around. It's like it's not mm-hmm. a feeling of um, he understands to some degree that uh, something has happened, that his body is not here, that uh, and and, he, and he's okay with it. You know, I, I'm gonna jump into another topic but you just said something that made me think of an experience that i've really become to appreciate i started participating during covid uh, in an online tibetan sangha out of minnesota and it was a new experience for me to do all of that online but they would at the beginning of each session they would uh, do a prayer and honor each person within the lineage up to the current lineage holder there you go and I love that. I was like, wow, mm-hmm. this is such a beautiful thing. And the booklet that they emailed you, you know, it has a picture of each person and it has a mm-hmm. prayer that that person wrote. And, and they, we say them in order. And at first it was a little alien because I didn't know who they were. But over time, I've, I've come to just, even though I don't know these beings, I go, wow, I'm, I'm able to participate in this modern day iteration of this Sangha because of these lineage holders that go all the way back to the mountains you know, yeah. of Tibet. 
you know, and it comes out of this this exile and wanders mm-hmm. into the United States and takes root in this new form. What a beautiful thing to be able to honor all these people in this lineage. Um, so that's kind of a that's an, an ancestor devotion to some degree. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah, and a recognition of where we come from. Yeah, yeah, I love it. So, yeah. so at what point did you realize that you wanted to write a book? And then evolve that into a podcast. So let's see. So it was before my husband died that I started having the the carpooling with death image. And I started, it started in my mind as a small article, like a blog post. But at that time, I wasn't really sure what to do with it because I didn't, you know, again, I, I was... 100% 100% firmly in the world of teaching project management. And so writing about, <laughs> I'm sure some people might tolerate some of that from me, but uh, I didn't really know what to do with it. And then to be honest with you, there was a part of me, I think that was beginning to understand, even though he hadn't officially been found ill yet, there was this part of me that was beginning to understand that I was going to outlive him. And we did, by the way, have a 15 year age gap, but I was just starting to have these thoughts that, and I think it was because he had had some cancer scares that weren't the cancer. Gotcha. But there was part of me one day, I just, you know, you just have these realizations, oh, it's going to be cancer. And I now gotcha. it's just yeah. when. And and so I had this idea for writing this article on how we're all just really carpooling with death. But I held back because, one, I didn't know what to do with it if I did write it. And, two, I think there was part of me that felt disrespectful or wrong to start writing about the death of someone who at this point is healthy and you're having a great, lovely life together. But I guess I was having these, I guess we could say these premonitions. And so I carried that with me and I carried that with me through as my mother-in-law died. And then my father, as he died, who, uh, weird coincidence, my father, my father, his brother, and my husband, who were not genetically related, by the way, um, <laughs> did all die of the same guy. I know that sounds weird, but because they all died of the same lung cancer. Oh, so really? that's just how it was going to be. Um, yeah, they all had the same lung cancer and they all they all died from it. So my father in 2012 and then my husband diagnosed in 2014. So when he was diagnosed, I kind of knew I was like, oh, and it was weird because it was almost the same timeline as my father. My father was diagnosed in May of 2012 and died in November 2012. And my husband was diagnosed in around May or June of 2014 and also died in November 2014. So after he died and my mom died, my husband and my mom just happened to die within five days of each other. Um, Really? Yeah, yeah. She had a heart attack. You know, she had a nice long life and she was missing my dad and, you know, she was a strong-willed gal. And if she could have planned it another way, she would have died actually on the anniversary of his death. If she could have, I think she actually died like a day after the anniversary of my father's death. You're kidding. Yeah, yeah, no, no. And I I just know. And what makes me happy for her is she had her death on her terms because she was so funny when my father first died and they were in, you know, we were in California and they were in Washington state. And so I started calling her every day and that was new. We we used to speak once a week, but not every day. And so after, well, after my father died, we took turns going back and forth and being with my mom so that somebody was always with her for about six weeks. 
then after we came home, I started calling her every day and she was so funny. She was like, well, I guess you're just calling to see if I'm still alive. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'm like, well, yes, no. One of the reasons I really was calling is my mom was like an extreme extrovert. If she was all awake, she was talking. And my father was very introverted, great listener. And I wanted her to have that listener. Yeah. But she was really kind of afraid that I was just checking on her. And she was also afraid that we were going to try to make her come move here with us. And none oh, of that was the intention. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> none of that was the intention. And so she used to tell me early on, I'm leaving this house my feet first. <laughs> And you know, finally she understood that I was just being a friend to her, and we developed a wonderful uh, late-life friendship. But you know what? She got her wish. She left that house to be first, and good for her. I always say, good for you, Joni Maloney. <laughs> she, she died on the couch with her little prayer book in her lap. I wow. think it was a perfect and beautiful death for her. That's you that's know? good to hear, honestly. Yeah, yeah that's a, yeah, that's a it, positive story. In, in it was. All she, it was things considered. her death, her terms. And when she wasn't answering the phone and when she didn't show up for a party, because remember, extreme extrovert, like everyone's like, Joni's not at the party. <sighs> we kind of knew, you know? Yeah. So she got to have her, she got to leave that house feet first. Yeah. But so through the culmination of all of these things, that idea of carpooling with death started turning into a book. I see. And I started and I walked around with it. Let's see. So I didn't publish it until 2018. So I walked around with it and I didn't know what to do with it. And was, you know, all ideas of things that you're meant to do, but you ignore. It kept coming back up. Yeah. And I'd be like, what are you talking about? You don't, you're not an, you're all the, you not, you're not an author. You're not, but it just kept coming up. And so finally, one day I was at this conference for entrepreneurs and there was somebody there who helps people write their own books. Oh. So I approached him timidly and I told him about my idea for the book and he's like, yes, of course I'll help you. Wow. And then that finally pulled it out of me. Interesting. I had another guest who had a similar experience. They weren't planned. They were writing a book, but it was the same thing you just said. Like, it's amazing how many people I go through that too, that, oh, mm -hmm. but you're not a, oh, well, nobody's going to want to, oh, it's like all these negative voices going, that's for somebody else to do. There's not enough letters behind your name, X, Y, Z, all the reasons. And yes. then the, the other person said the same thing. And it was a similar thing. Someone in a writing group said, well, I'll help you. And they did. And, and what a life-changing thing for somebody to yeah. just help. It was fun, and it was, and, and it was so funny because this person he would say he was like, you know, your first book. He goes, you're really writing it for you, and that's okay. He's like, I'm not saying you people won't read it. He says, I'm just saying that you, you know, your first book is for you, and it's true. It was like, I guess, my therapy, and and so I just really wanted to write about this is the experiences, this is what it was like to go right. through these deaths and to meet death, you know, with my family. And so then, you know, that's been out for a little while, and then I started thinking like, what do I want to do next? And then I thought, well, now you wrote, now, Margaret, you told your story. What was it? What has it been like for other Buddhists? Yeah. What has it been like for other Buddhists? And that's when the idea started, you know, germinating that I would reach out to Buddhist teachers mm. and interview them about their experiencing what they've experienced with death and grief. And uh, then, you know, it's, again, I, you know, I, had to have that little push, right? I sat on it for a little, because the same thing, eh, eh, eh. And then I, you know, it's like, <laughs> you need to do this. 
<laughs> you need to do this. And this is where working with a group of people who hold you accountable help, right? Right. Yeah. And so, and then I would make a promise out loud to my mastermind and then I, then I had to do it. Yeah. And so then I started writing to people, uh, can I interview you? And then I had to come up with things to talk to them about. And then there you go. That's amazing. I love that. That that to me, I love hearing where people's stories start and how they get into get entangled in doing good things that help other people. Some people don't intend for it to be what they end up doing. I mean, but it, it somehow is always related to something somewhere in their life. There's always some moment or some some series of events that shapes us and you know, I, I think about this all the time. Like, what is you know purpose? That is always something that's been something curious to me, even as a young boy. What's your purpose? Mm -hmm. um, and I used to think it had to be something I knew. You know, it used mm -hmm. to be had had to be something that was clear. Um, that I had a, had a particular title and particular training and a particular job, and I would get all the tools and I would go out there and just do it, whatever that was. But what I've learned is it's nothing like that. It's sort of um, riding, riding life in a vessel and finding a current. And that's mm -hmm. just the current you're in. And sometimes you can't steer off into another current. Sometimes that's the current you're in. And you got to make your way, make the best out of that situation. And you learn within that current. And that's kind of what it's been like for me. And it mm -hmm. sounds like life kind of did that to you, too. It was like you didn't. I'm sure go, I'm going to do this. I'm, you know, I'm going to be having, I'm have a podcast about death. I'm write a book about death, but life just, that was the current you were in. And you know, that's where you learned. Yes. That's what it became. I love that. I just think that's a beautiful oh, thing. Thank you. Yeah. I guess at some point it almost becomes like, you can't not do it. Yes. You know, it just rises up in you and you're like, okay. <laughs> yeah. But now I'm happy about it. Now I'm not, oh, okay. Now I'm like, this is what I do, and this is what I'm stepping more and more into. And yeah. we'll see how it goes. Is it fully formulated? It is not. Let well, us see how it flows. How has it helped you personally? I mean, I know you, you are helping others by doing the work you're doing with these tools. But how has it helped you? It has really helped me deepen my Buddhist practice. It has really helped me learn multiple layers to what it means to be compassionate to others. Um, I think it has helped me process my own grief and come to an understanding of, oh, this is what it's like. And it's not something you finish with. It's something you live with. Uh, I think sometimes there are some discussions where I was interviewing people where I was like, are they answering my question or are they really trying to teach me something? Uh, and I'm like, yeah, right? Yeah. That, or that I will hear a lesson a couple of times and each time I'll hear it or learn it differently. Mm. And yeah. <laughs> it has made me feel a lot more peaceful. That's great. I feel so much more peace and, and I think this is a combination of the Buddhism and the death. I like that I don't have to know everything. That's, I love that. Being I don't comfortable have to have the, the answers. Be comfortable with the mystery. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot I don't know and that's okay. Not only is it okay, it's a relief. It's like, I can settle into not knowing things. <laughs> It's so interesting, and it has to do with death, but I think about this one scene from a movie 
all the time when it comes to death. And I'm sure you've seen the movie. Do you remember Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom? Yes. The very beginning of that movie, he's, you know, there's the whole bar and he's dressed in the white jacket and there's like that whole action sequence. And he has a a, a man there that's pretending to be a waiter who's a part of his little plot. Well, he gets shot and blood starts to spread across his his shirt. And I mean, I remember him saying this. He's dying and he looks at Indiana Jones and he's smiling and he Mm -hmm. says, Indy, I go first. I go first. Like he's excited about the mystery of it. And I remember as a kid, I was like, what an odd reaction to dying. He's not scared. He's like, he looked at Indy like um, almost like archaeology. It was like, I get to find out before you like the answer Mm -hmm. to the mystery. You know, and I thought, wow, that stuck with me as a kid. I was like, what an interesting perspective. Like, how do you how do you get that? That's kind of what I how do you get to that that? curiosity? How do how do I look at that that death that way instead of, you know, the run from it, hide it, don't die, don't grow old, Mm -hmm. you know, stay beautiful forever attitude that we are sold. Yes, uh, how yes. do I get to that guy's perspective? He's he was young, you know, but he was like right. ready to rock and roll. He's like, all right, man, I get to go find out what before you do. What an interesting. I think it's thing. the curiosity. I think it's what you're saying. It's that curiosity, the being open to the curiosity of the experience, and sure, a little fear. Yeah. But it's the what was it? Somebody that I spoke with was saying, he was saying, why are we afraid? Why don't we just treat this like when we go on a hike and we know a little bit about the hike, but not a lot about the hike. Why don't we just approach it with curiosity and openness and assume that it's going to be good. Hmm. I like I that. Like, That's a good yeah. way to look at it. See, that was a person that was teaching me. I like that. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Why don't we just think about it that way? That is the joy of podcasting. I will say you, you saying that reminds me of the, how lucky we are. I mean, you know, there's this idea that we're interviewing people, but ultimately they are teaching us. Uh, one of my guests, the last guest I had of 2020, uh, he had published a book and he was so excited about it. Him and his, his co-author were on and it was about it was called Repair Revolution and they we're all about like taking old broken things instead of buying new things, like teaching people how to repair them, you know, so we weren't mm-hmm. losing the art of fixing our stuff. Um, beautiful, beautiful man. And he passed away like a month later after we talked. Wow. And I was mm-hmm. like, it, it, I was stunned when I saw the news. I was like, I just talked to him. I mean, he was so excited about his book and, and it was just, he was going to, you know, it was going to make such an impact with this book. And I went back and listened to that conversation again and realized how much he was teaching me in that conversation. And there was this one little sentence from the conversation that I, I wrote down and he had wrote it down in our talk. I saw him writing it and he told me that he was writing it down and he said it back to me. And when he passed away, that little sentence became so important. And it changed my life because I just started um, encouraging people to become pen pals with me. I mean, we can all connect mm-hmm. on social media, but I was like, no, I want to start writing really like heartfelt letters. Let's slow it down and spend a little more time. And that came from that conversation. And I was like, you know, it's amazing because now when I, I sat down last night to write a letter, 
And I thanked him. You know, I was like, I'm so mm-hmm. thankful that he called that one little sentence out. That little sentence for me is his whole life now. Yes. You know, yes. and that's the that's the beautiful side of death. And I mean, I don't know, just our conversation today and, and the things that it's got me already thinking about, it's just heightening that purpose. I mean, that purpose of intentionally honoring the people that we've already lost, you know, or mm-hmm. not even lost. I don't even, I don't even know if that's the right word, I guess, keeping them alive through these small actions, as you said, you know, they're not gone until we stop remembering them. Exactly. Exactly. And there's, and again, as long as we don't get into the, like, you know, capturing the red cardinal and putting her in the cage and <laughs> right. feeding her Mima's favorite chocolates, you know, as long as we don't go to that place, you know, we don't want to go to the, I, I must, I must make this my Buddhist commercial. We don't want to go to the place of attachment, right. but to love and respect and include the essence, the spirit of our relationship with someone, I would suggest that that is not attachment. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a really good point. Right, because you're still here. And so everyone who has been part of your life is still part of your life. And they still, whether we want to acknowledge or not, they are still influencing us. So why don't we just acknowledge it? Yeah. It's like 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 wind or rain or sunshine. I mean, it just shines down, and we don't always think about that. We don't. I don't walk outside every day and go, "Oh, I'm absorbing the sun, the sun, the sun." I don't do it all day long. My body just is a part yeah. of life. You know, you walk out and the sun mm-hmm. shines on you, and your body processes that. I think that's some in some way a way to take our loved ones with us in that regard. You know, sometimes I'll stop and make a special time to get up and watch the sun come up. But mm-hmm. I don't think about it 24 hours or 12 hours a day when it's making it, you know, when we're making our rotation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just like one day your sons are going to take that sunrise walk. And one, one or two times it might be with you as they get older, they might appreciate the, you know, the reasons to do it with you. And, you know, maybe <laughs> one or two times it'll be, not with you, but they're going to be, dad used to do this. Yeah, that's right. And that's okay. That's a gift, hopefully, that I can leave for them, you know, yeah. just that. So they can go better than a better than a headstone. <laughs> yes. And maybe one of them will keep doing it because it's when they communicate, when they commune with you. That's right. You know? Yeah, that's right. Yes. Yeah. I love that. Mm-hmm. That gives me comfort. Exactly. To know so that that could bring them comfort. Yeah. Even when we're not there, we're there. That's right. In some way. Yes. Uh, you have such a lovely message. I, you know, your book, I ordered it and it hasn't come in yet. I was hoping to have gotten it and read it already. So I, I but the reviews have me just wanting to read it even more. You have positive reviews. Oh, thank you. All across thank the board. You. They're so good. And they're, they're not just quick reviews. Like all the reviews are very robust and personal. And I just loved that. Thank you. I was very appreciative that people were willing to do that. And yes, so people did read it and it was exciting. Yeah. And, you know, and, 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 and as you know, say so like with, with your podcast, at some point you realize people who I don't know, you know, like with your podcast and you look and you're like, people yeah. who I don't know have to be part of this because I don't know as many people as that is. So, I mean, it, right. and what a <laughs> lovely feeling that people are trusting us. Mm. 
you know what I've learned too, you know, and this was hard for me, I think at first, because I, I, I want to believe that I, I'm open and willing to connect with anybody, but there is still like a barrier in life between you and the people that you're listening or are listening to your content. Mm-hmm. Uh, while on one hand, you want them to, to, to touch them personally. On the other hand, uh, you don't know who you're touching and all the complications that are in their life. So there's something like a little, almost a fear barrier there. That's like, well, how close do I want to get? And this year I've really had to experiment with that. And I've, I'm, I've really put myself out there a little more and really said, okay, I actually, what if I did connect with some of the listeners in a really personal way? And that Mm -hmm. was a good decision so far. I mean, now granted, I have to be cautious and careful and take all the proper precautions, but that's been healthy for me because I've realized that these relationships, even though they're digital, um, mm-hmm. this is sort of the world we're living in and they're real. I mean, these are real relationships, they're real people, and uh, we're having some really beautiful correspondence. And that's just mm-hmm. such a refreshment that to know that there's... They're not just these sort of nebulous, etherical people, ears out there listening. They're just real human beings with beating hearts, you know, and minds that are um, contemplating what's being put out there. It's just a wonderful thing. Yes, and they're they're looking forward to your conversations, and they feel like they know you, and there's something you're sharing with them that is useful and interesting to yeah. them. Listen, I had a teacher once, a professor. And this was not a spiritual class. It was a business class. It was a leadership class. And he was actually talking to us about public speaking and don't worry about it. But the phrase he used meant so much more than the situation he was using it in, which is the right people show up. Mm. He would say, don't worry. And I, I did have a sense at that moment that although he was talking to us about don't worry about your public speaking engagements, that he really meant it as more than that. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's how I internalized it. But that was his saying. He's like, don't worry. The right people show up. Yeah. I mean, if you're willing. two people or 2,000 people. It's true. The people Mm -hmm. that are, that need it. That's what I, or not even just need, but that are just uh, ready to hear. Yes. You know, ready to hear. I'm happy. I know it. Hey there, good news listener. I hope you've enjoyed this episode as much as I've enjoyed producing it. Now, it's time for the Fishing for Goodies segment, where I turn my interviewer role over to the Good News Fishbowl. Longtime listeners know that the Fishbowl contains over 400 unique questions, many seated by you, the listeners. Did you know that you could submit unique questions to the Fishbowl? That's right. Just call the Good News Hotline at 802-459-1668 to have your question added. You can also visit findthegood.news and send me an email. Now, let's take that dive into the fishbowl. So have you listened to this podcast, any of the, any full episodes of Find the Good News? I listened to the episode uh, uh, with your interview with, uh, gosh, I forget his name, the author, No Self, No Problem. Oh, yeah, Chris you, Neubauer, you sent me yeah. Some of them, and I listened a little bit, too, of course, with Venerable Day. Yeah. But, um, I did because I thought, well, if there's everyone I should listen to, yeah. I should listen to that. Yeah, that's and, a good one, actually. Uh, I really enjoyed it. And, and so it did help me to understand just, you know, about I, – I had a sense that it was going to be a nice conversational flow 
and uh, but you know just to know that, that yeah this is how it's going to be nice discussion back and forth and it was yeah. very interesting to listen to the two of you talk about neuroscience and selfing <laughs> yeah. and right brain and left brain and you know, I know. And, you know and it's so, like anything you can't I can uh, I laugh because I sometimes I'm talking to people that I'm, I'm way out of my depth and uh, far far out of anything that I would consider myself being knowledgeable in and so I can only bring life to the table sometimes and uh, I find that that's okay a lot of times because that allows me to learn and if you open the door people are willing to teach as you said right here and i don't on... think you seemed out of your depth at all really I, I i would have never thought that i felt like i felt like you were having a good back and forth and that you know you were asking him about things and concepts and your own experiences of you know of how what he wrote about uh, how That's good it to know. took shape in your world and yeah it was a really nice discussion so the, did you get to the end the very end where we do this fishbowl I didn't. I didn't listen to the fish. Okay, part. so this is uh, this is called fishing for goodies, okay. and what I do is four hundred questions in here, but we're not going to ask four hundred questions. <laughs> uh, these have been over the course of this podcast. There have been new questions added to this bowl over time. Some okay. of them I put in. Some of them past guests have put in. And what I do with each guest is I draw three questions out. I love it. I was curious about this section. Like, I knew you had something that we were going to do, and so I have been looking forward to this also. Oh, well, here we go. So you're going to have fun then. So I don't okay. know. I just pulled them out while I was telling you about it, so I have no okay. idea what these say. Okay, this is a good question. I, I want to hear this. Okay. If you could instantly be an expert in any subject, what would it be? Oh, wow. If I could be an expert in any subject... That is a good question. I think it might be, this is funny because I, I don't really ever read about it, but if I could just bing, wave my magic wand, I think it would be evolutionary biology. Really? Now, why that? Yeah, because I think I just find that the whole how we evolve and uh, so here's the thing that has always been fascinating to me, and it'll prove to you that I haven't done this studying or else I'd probably know the answer to this, which is... If we accept that life started, life as we know it, and that Homo sapiens as we know them to be, started in one place, and that that was in Africa, and then we decimated, or not decimated, disseminated, all over the globe, and here we are all looking so different. And so it's so interesting to me that there's somebody like me, and then there's somebody like my friends from Vietnam, and then yeah. there's, you know, um, people from Africa, and we all look so different and came about, and I understand that in some ways they're saying, well, you know, it's a function of where your, you know, your genetic people were from, which mine are probably all Celtic or something. Um, but still, to me, it's just so endlessly fascinating that why did it make sense that I evolved in this way? And why did it make sense that somebody else's uh, six foot five and thin yeah. and that their family are all six foot five and thin. And why does it make sense that Eskimos look like how Eskimos look? And anyway, yeah, no, I'm I, bad. I actually be. think that is a great answer. And it, gosh, we could have a whole podcast about that. I just think that is interesting too. And I, I would have never articulated it that way, but yes, it's like we, we have so much diversity Mm -hmm. But yet we have these un def definitely unique clusters, 
you know, and and, but that are that have extreme differences. And why is it that way? I mean, there's that's something you could just endlessly dive into and it would just be endlessly fascinating, I think. I think so. Yeah, Yeah, I just find it very interesting. It's like, how did that happen? And, you know, I think there's things where sometimes there's like, what is it? There's the selfish gene, which is the one that survives and adapts. And then there's these like evolutionarily blips. You know, and then we have something like a platypus. <laughs> right. but, but it's like, I want to know, like, well, how does that really happen? Why does that really make sense? That's really funny. We were watching this this uh, Netflix show called Lock and Key. And, uh, you know, they have this key where they can unlock their own mind and it creates a door. Like mm-hmm. in a physics. Have you seen it? It's like they have I a, watched that series. Yeah. I really liked it. And he'd throw a book in there and he would shut the door. And it was like, oh, and now I know about everything that I threw in there. You know, and I was like, yeah. that's such a cool thing. I wish I could I guess do we that. have to throw all that into my head. Yeah, wow. I would love to do that. Mm-hmm. Now, this is a little more lighthearted question, but and I don't even know if you can answer it, because as I'm reading it, I'm thinking, gosh, what was it for me? But this is the question. Mm-hmm. What was the first thing that you remember buying with your own money? I remember. Okay. And it's funny. I have a visual of this playing in my mind right now. I don't know if it's a real memory or a false memory, but I have this visual of I was about, let's say, between six to eight years old. And some kids came to our front door, and I remember they came to the front door, and they had this ball, and it was just a regular, like, you know, the rubber bouncy balls? Yeah. And, um, but it was colorful. It had, like, all kinds of colors in it. So it wasn't like the, I'll say, the ball that we used to use at school for kickball, which may, I think schools kind of have used the same one for a long time. That's why I say it that way. Um, but it was rubber or maybe more like a harder plastic and it bounced and it was multicolored and these two little kids came to the door and they were selling it. And I don't remember how much they wanted for it, but I don't know why I really wanted to buy it from them, but I did. And I mean, I didn't need a ball, but there was something, maybe it was the way in which they approached me or the way in which they were selling it. Or maybe that just means I've always been an easy mark. (laughs) And so I remember going and getting my allowance and buying this ball. And I remember my parents just being so baffled, like, why did you do that? And why did you spend, and it wasn't all, I don't think it was all my money, which I mean, was probably what was all my money when I was six to eight years old, who knows, but it wasn't all my money, but it was maybe half of my money. And and they were just baffled. Like, why did you do that? And I I didn't really have a good answer. So I remember doing it. You do remember doing it. I do remember doing that. How old were you? I think between six and eight. Six and eight, Because okay. I can picture, the reason I can tell you that is um, where I grew up. So we, I was born in Massachusetts. We moved to California when I was about four. And we lived in a couple of different houses in this city in Southern California, which now, as an adult, I understand was we moved, we arrived, we were renting. Uh, then we probably... Then probably we okay. bought our first house. Yeah. Then we probably bought the second bigger house. Yeah. You know, then my parents downsized to a condominium. Like, now I get that. So we were in the first house that I think we bought. And so I can picture that house so that that's why I can tell you about the age range that I was because I know which house it was in. Yeah. And we were only in that house, I think, for a couple of years. That's interesting. The, yeah. Interesting. I love memories like that. And that's why I love that question and that you had such a detailed answer 
that's just such mm-hmm. a that's the beauty of memory like when you were telling it I, I i don't know even though it's just a simple story of a girl getting her allowance to buy a ball but like all those little details yeah i just i remember, remember and yeah it. we lived let me think oh now i can remember we lived in that house until i was in fourth grade yeah, till fourth grade, and then in fifth and sixth grade, because I remember moving to a different school for fifth and sixth grade too. So there you go. Yeah, so, so it's whatever. all framed with these different uh, vectors, yes. you know, that so point that, back that to that moment. Remi- that help me remind. That, yeah, I have markers that help me remember. I love about that. Yeah, the time I, frame I'm everything. the same way. The way you were describing yeah. is like, gosh, I, that's how I recall. It's mm-hmm. like you you can paint it out. You know, you can mm-hmm. paint that little scene out. I love yes. that. I bought that ball. And the first thing I remember buying. With my own money, and I mean, I'm sure I bought other things, but the thing uh-huh. that I remember wanting and buying and a, is a Zippo lighter. Oh, <laughs> I bought it okay. at K and B drugstore as a kid. I loved to camp and outdoors and stuff. You know, uh-huh. when I was a kid, I was always roaming around the woods, and and so making fire was always a part of that. And I always thought Zippo lighters, when I'd see people use them, I just thought that is the neatest thing. Mm-hmm. And I remember saving my money and. Going to a K and B drugstore and buying a silver Zippo lighter, and I was so excited to finally—I'd never had one, never even held one—and I, I struck it, and it didn't light. I didn't realize oh. that you had to buy oh, lighter the, fluid. The fluid. <laughs> and I remember, and to this day, like I still have Zippo lighters everywhere. Like I just think it's the best design. It's it just—they always came with the lighter fluid in them. No, they're dry oh, as see? a bone. Yeah, but it's such a good design. I just, even now, I think of all the different tools I own, that one just does not change. It's the same. Mm-hmm. It's like stood the test of time. It was a practical pur- purchase yeah. for the your camping and things you did. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I sure did want that Zippo, though, and it, I was so disappointed when it didn't light. When it didn't light. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then you had to come up with money for the fluid. For the fluid. Yeah, it was for another week or two after that. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, and then you have to wait. Yeah, that's disappointing right. too. <laughs> oh, that's so okay. this is your last question. This one's a little more uh, somber question, but I am curious to okay. hear what you said, what you have to say. What's the biggest joy fee- joy thief that you're aware of in your life? Wow, what a great question! The biggest joy thief. What steals my joy? I'm thinking. When I allow myself to spin over someone else, what someone else has said or done, and I think specifically, so I could tie it specifically to when I take, maybe, when not maybe, when I take things to personally Mm. and then I kind of allow myself to go down a path and I think what I can add that to is when I have when I not have had because I am still it's still a thing that happens to me as a human being when I get upset frequently I allow myself to spin too far into a story. Oh, I love that. Yeah. 
You know, I go into the story of this person said this thing to me and it really hurt my feelings and they they did it because law and then I come up with this story which may or may not be true and it prolongates the pain, mm. elongates the pain, prolongs the pain. I'm making up words. Prolongate. I think that's a new word. It prolongs <laughs> or elongates the pain. Prolongates. I like it actually. Prolongates Makes sense to me. <laughs> You know what? That's because I did listen to your conversation where you talked about a word could be spelled a different way or you could say it a different way. And your wife was like, not really, honey. See? And you're like, no, this could be a word. And she's like, no, honey, not really. So there you go. Prolongated. Prolongated. I like it, though. I might start using it. That's good. Yeah, let's use it. Let's bring that. Let's make it the 2021 word of the year. Prolonged. and so I become more and more upset and I can and when I have really done a, a good job at something that isn't a good behavior, I'll be up all night mm. spinning over this made up story. Gosh, that is so relevant to me right now. You have no idea. I mean, I that's something everybody listen they could listen to the whole thing and get to that. And really think about that, because that is good advice all around. I mean, I was just having a conversation with a friend of mine online today mm-hmm. about this very thing. Maybe not exactly the same way, but I was saying, you know, my early spiritual experience that kind of, I call it, and I hate to even use it, sounds so pretentious, but like an awakening moment. Mm-hmm. So I had, mm-hmm. In the face of death, I had an awakening type moment. And it was so exciting because it was like new, brand new eyes to see the world with. Mm-hmm. And I was so eager to learn. And it felt so, uh, when I would look back like 10 years after that event, I had like a mythology, a story that I had, that had formed. Mm-hmm. Whenever I would encounter someone and they would get to talking, that story would come up. And I've started to, re- after about 10 years, I started realizing that I had sort of created the best version of that story over that decade uh-huh and it was all and so after that 10th year i almost had to go into a stage of deconstructing my own story and going okay i need to go back because i'm no longer satisfied with this being a story i don't know mm-hmm. if that makes sense but i was like i need it to does. strip all this stuff this mythos my own mythos that i made up the story strip it off and get right back down to what was what was it in real terms, down in the dirt of the earth, get right back to death, and let's start at ground zero. And what a wonderful yes. exercise that was. You know, and I, I told them today, I said, I hope I do that every 10 years. You know, can go back mm-hmm. and tear it all apart again and get right back down in the dirt and test it. Get all the ah, mythos off yes. of it and just test it. And, you know, take the story out of it. Because the story, as lovely as it may sound can can make you lazy (laughs) it's kind of what i thought it makes me lazy it is easier you know they do teach us that it is easier and and then so our our uh, neuro uh, scientists can back this up that it is easy for us to follow that neural network that's already followed and ingrained than it is to forge a new one and and so there is something there uh, mentally, physically, emotionally, that it's easier to go with that thing than it is to strip it down and, and change it. Yeah. You remember those choose your own adventure books, you know? Mm-hmm. It makes me feel like that. Like, 
I would. I remember as a kid, I would read those books, and then I'd go back and reread them and go, you know, last time I said, take the ladder instead of going into the cave. Well, this time I'm going to take the cave and see where the book goes. I, I find that stories can be like that. I mean, and it's nice to revisit them because, yeah, they, they get in your head, just like you said. I and mean, what you were saying is so relevant, though. I mean, we all do that, I think. I don't know anybody who doesn't do that, where it's like, when especially when somebody says something about us or something stings us i mean and you lay in bed and you're thinking about it and it's just like kicking mm-hmm. around you know and the popcorn kernels are popping and it's like you know and then before long they've all popped and it's filled up your brain and there's a whole picture there and there's no yes. room for anything but that you know and it's a reminder to me to go back to my basics of my practice yeah you know you know, there is suffering and I am suffering because I'm clinging or attaching to something and there's a way out of this suffering. And it's a reminder. It's like, <laughs> you have the tools, Margaret, but for some reason you have decided to cling to this thing and do a lot of selfing and mm. instead of sitting with it and remembering that everything that rises, everything that arises ceases and this moment where you are feeling and I think that, like other human beings, maybe where I'm susceptible to this is where I feel either betrayed or unappreciated. Oh boy, yes. <laughs> these are the themes I work. These are the themes I work on in my life of feeling betrayed or unappreciated, and to to sit with that and recognize that that feeling of betrayal doesn't have to stay with you. Mm, yeah, I can watch it come up and watch it go. But sometimes because I'm still a human being, just a regular person, not an enlightened monk or nun, sometimes I I jump on it and I go down the Margaret's crazy train to the story town. Oh, gosh, Margaret, this is like such a beautiful conversation. I mean, I've been thinking about this a lot, what you just said about betrayed or unappreciated. Mm-hmm. Probably more in the unappreciated part. I, I've been thinking a lot about cooking eggs, and I know this is going to be a strange way to get in that, but I love to cook eggs, mm-hmm. and I love to cook eggs for people. Mm-hmm. And so every, in the mornings, I get up and I cook eggs, and I always think I'm going to cook everybody's eggs the way they like them because everybody likes them a different way. Mm-hmm. But after I do it for too many days, I've watched my brain and I, my mind. And then if I see like somebody didn't finish their egg or like they didn't, they picked it one and ate another one. <sighs> oddly enough, they don't know this, but I start to feel like they don't appreciate that I got up early to cook them eggs the way they like their mm-hmm. eggs. Now that's, I'm articulating that out loud. It's not that clear in my head, but it's like an insidious little mind worm that stakes around over a few days. And if it happens too many times, and in fact, today, the, today this morning was that day. I cooked okay. eggs and I was sitting in the kitchen and I was cleaning up the plates, and I was like, and all of a sudden, the mind worm. They don't appreciate that I get up and make their eggs the way they like their eggs, or that I know how everybody likes their eggs, or that I pick up everybody's plates after they do. They don't don't appreciate that I do all this. And I stopped myself, just like you Mm -hmm. said, go back to the practice. I was like, I started scrubbing the skillet, and I was like, why are you cooking these eggs in the first place? Because you love them. How do you feel when you cook the eggs because you love them? You feel good. Then just do it for that. If they don't eat right. them, that's not on you. And that is a hard place to get to. Like, it's hard, like, because it's over and over. Those mind worms are like. They're relentless. Oh, they're relentless. And I, I do. I have to watch that and go, that's just mm-hmm. 
some monkeying around in there and who knows where that feeling of not being appreciated really starts that could go yeah. all the way back to childhood and i don't even know where it's coming from yeah or it could be you didn't sleep well last night <laughs> right <laughs> anything you know? yeah right oh, gosh i know all of that i get exactly what you're saying mm-hmm. but that but you said mm-hmm. something about going back to your practices that's the thing I would advocate the most to anybody is like, go back to your practice. That's why we, that's why it's called practice. You're going to not do it right <laughs> sometimes. And so we got to go back to the practices and touch them, utilize them and just keep trying. Yeah, exactly. And just recognize that this is what it is to be a human being. That's right. This is <laughs> right. how it is. I'm human. Yep. Me too. I like yeah. that. This has been yeah. a great conversation. I've enjoyed it. Oh, me too. Thank you so much. I will tell you that, you know, when I listen to to your other podcast episodes, you know, again, a little bit of vulnerability and then of the um, no self, no problem. I was like, I just don't know that I'm going to be able to talk. I don't feel I have that much to say, but you do such a great job guiding the conversation that it's like, oh, yeah, I did have things to say. Oh, you have a lot to say. And you know what? We're just <laughs> hanging out. I mean, like, that's the thing. It's like, uh I, I know that there are some really great structured prod podcasts out there, and I try to structure this one, but ultimately what I think it has to be is that I, like you probably, and I think you even said that, that people have stories. I I love people's stories. I mean, I love mm-hmm. hearing what they've been through, how they've got there, and everybody's got one. Everybody got somewhere from someplace. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't think we do, though. Sometimes we all think, we're, no, yeah. I'm so boring. I don't have anything to say. <laughs> right. But so what a, what a lovely conversationalist you are. Thank you oh, so much. Thank you for oh. taking the time. My so let's, let's make it worth it for you here. I want to make sure everybody knows what you're doing, what you uh, where you want them to go to get a hold of you or contact you or get your book, get on your podcast, listen to your podcast. I mean, what's the best way? Oh, that's great. That. Thank you. I would say come to margaretmaloney.com and it's uh, M-E-L-O-N-I because it's just not the Maloney we think. So if you come to you know margaretmaloney.com and there you will find the podcast, the Death Dama podcast, which I would love it if you gave it a try and left me some comments and feedback. That would be amazing. And also there you can find my blog and you can find my current book, Carpooling with Death. And hopefully this fall, you'll also find my new book, which is tentatively titled Sitting with Death. Oh. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll keep you all posted. So it's it's in the early stages now. And Sitting with Death is what came from the interviews. Oh, really? So Parkling with Death is the, the Margaret story, if you will, of yeah. learning to deal with death. And then Sitting with Death is where I've gone and spoken to the Buddhist teachers about their experiences. Oh, that's which great. became the impetus for the podcast. Wonderful. I'm excited so about that. I didn't know about that. So that's a nice, uh, a nice thing to look forward to. Yeah, two books. Yeah. And look, you were like, I wasn't going to write one. Now you're writing the second one. That's wonderful. I know. And there's part of me that's like, what will the next one be? And I have no idea. But That's great. That's I great like the news. idea that there could be a next one, but I don't know what it will be. Yeah. Well, it'll yeah. come. Who knows what will yes. happen? I mean, between the two. That's that's Absolutely. great. Well, we'll yeah. stay in touch for sure. I, I hope uh, I hope this was a good experience for you. And I, I think the listeners are going to really enjoy hearing what you had to say. Well, thank you for giving me a voice. I really appreciate it. It was great to talk to you. I'm more thankful every moment. 
that I found. Thanks for listening to my Beacon Series conversation with Margaret Maloney. If you'd like to experience her book, Carpooling with Death, visit findthegood.news slash bookshop. If you found something of use in this conversation, consider visiting findthegood.news slash donate, where you can help me continue this good news mission from the Louisiana Gulf Coast. I thank you for pressing play and for syncing up with this good news beacon.